and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This episode is brought to you by Athletes Brand. Athletes Brand works with pro athletes to design some awesome t-shirts and then donate proceeds to a charity. But what really caught my attention was the amount of effort they put into the charity component of their products. Athletes Brand educates about the cause, say what the money I'm spending is going toward within the cause, and then follow up with how the cause actually spent the money afterwards. For this month's t-shirt, they wanted to give a big thank you to those who have been grossly undervalued during these times. Athletes Brand partnered with Tyler Saladino of the Korean Baseball League and the Brave of Heart Fund to raise money to help families on the front lines during COVID-19 to get through their unfortunate circumstances of losing a loved one. It will cover meal costs, funeral costs, grief counseling, rent and mortgage, and more. Because the families are in many ways just as much a hero as the medical professionals who lost their lives. Let's honor those that sacrificed their lives for us by giving some support to their families. You can snag the baseball-inspired t-shirt that says thank you in tons of different languages for the next few weeks at athletesbrand.com. And your money will go directly to those families in need. Simple as that. On today's show, we have on Ryan Cienko, catching coordinator for the LA Dodgers. Ryan was a catcher at the University of Iowa, playing professionally for the Texas Rangers, Chicago White Sox, and an independent ball where he was an all-star. His current responsibilities include catching philosophies and drills, deciphering receiving metrics, blocking philosophies and drills, throwing philosophies and drills, coordinating player plans, working with the research and development department, and traveling to all affiliates to work with the catchers. So on the show, we discuss almost all of that, but we dig into how he evaluates catchers, what data and trends we can look for, and we go through several different drills and thought processes with how we can set up catchers to maximize their potential on and off the field. Here is Ryan Cienko. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Absolutely. You being a great catching guy for, for a long time, and, and, I, and we're going to get to talk a little bit about your high school coaching days, which is, which is I think, makes us all better coaches if we can coach uh, in high school for sure. I, I may be a little bit biased there, uh, but after hearing your ABCA talk a couple of months ago now, which seems like a couple of years ago, but it was super, super good, and, and I've since uh, kept up with you. Uh, since then and so I'm really excited to get to talk with you and, and to grow our relationship today and, and get to learn from you but for our listeners who want to get to know you a little bit better can you give us a short snapshot of your baseball background and then why you decided to hop into coaching sure I, you know first grew up outside of Chicago Elgin Illinois you know played like everyone else kind of through the the youth ranks and and uh, went to the University of Iowa Played eight years in the minor leagues with the Rangers and the White Sox, all kind of lackluster and all of that. But uh, even from a young age, I knew at some point I'd love to coach because uh, just the passion that I've had for the game, you know, instilled long ago. Um, and as soon as I got done playing, I actually started uh, working for Tom House uh, with the National Pitching Association right when he first started that. Um, Tommy and I, you know, traveled the country doing pitching clinics and, you know, that kind of stuff. And we had our, our pitching lab. And uh, honestly, if, if Tom wouldn't have taken the uh, pitching coach job at USC, I probably would have a totally different uh, career path at this point. Uh, since when, when he, the day he left is the day that I quit and started my own uh, catching company, Catch and Throw. After that, coached high school, coached travel ball. Uh, for quite a long time and actually coached Jack McDowell's sons in our travel organization and then uh, coached against him quite a bit. Uh, he and I were in the same kind of conference, smaller schools with my first uh, like head job and, uh, you know, had a really good relationship with Jack. And then Jack took a job with the Dodgers and uh, whatever, 2015, I think, the or 14 the winter meetings were in in san diego he said hey i might have a, a possible spot you know on my staff would you be interested and of course kind of jumped at it and he and i hung out down at uh, uh downtown san diego and actually had a a quick like two minute 
interview, I guess you would call it with Gabe Kapler at that point where he told me there wasn't anything available. And uh, from there turned into just some side conversations about receiving and, um, you know, pitch framing and all that stuff. And went through kind of a month long, you know, personal interview with Gabe before, uh, you know, the job materialized with the Dodgers. So, so it's kind of the short, the short of it, but uh, this is my sixth year with the Dodgers. Uh, it's been an incredible run that we've had uh, with the guys. So it's kind of the, the short, the short of it. Oh, I love that. And, and I love that again, I, I love to hear uh, people's background and where they came from. Cause I, I think that it just explains so much of, of what we do currently and why we do uh, different things. And so let's, let's go ahead and, and jump, you know, two feet in and, and let's talk about catching for good reason. And right. so let, let's talk about how you evaluate catchers, because again, I, I'm trying to learn from you. I, I am not a catching coach this year. And so I'm going to pretend like I'm going to be one next year. So I'm going to be over here taking notes and let's just start with that. So let's say that you guys are either, you know, potentially looking at guys in the draft or free agents mm -hmm. and, and you're, or maybe you're even looking at the amateur ranks just for whatever reason, but what are some things that stand out that good catchers really do? And then kind of what's your evaluation process look like? Uh, first, I looked for guys that are athletic. I think the position has changed to where it is no longer the, you know, the big body, slow catcher that could hit for a little bit of power. It's, it's not necessarily that anymore. And uh, it's a dynamic position. And if, if you've looked in the draft with the guys that have uh, been taken in the higher rounds in the last, you know, four or five years, you're seeing a lot more athlete rather than um, just skill as, as you know, as somebody that's going to sit back there and be able to take the durability of it. I think the performance staffs that I can only speak to our club, but the performance staff and the training staff that we have and treat any kind of uh, body issues as long as they're an athlete. And, and I, th I think that's the number one thing I do do. I do go out every year um, to help our scouting department. I don't know if you'd call it cross-checking the catchers, but they give me a list of guys of seen up to uh i think it's up to 18 guys um so when i'm traveling the first month i do a lot of kind of scouting and then go out and then see our guys uh i kind of mix the two together and i've seen a lot of you know dudes that can really hit and athletes if if you were going to say like what are the two biggest things i i would say just be a great athlete and be able to hit um, the bat will always win no matter what on any team. So, um, you know, we've, we've got to make sure that this position is not just a catch first catch only position. And, uh, you know, past that, I would look for the flexibility, the mobility, can the person move within, you know, the space that they have to work in. And then from there, it's all just about like evaluating, okay, this is what he does really well. This is what maybe there's room for growth. And, you know, so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. it's a very short list of things that I really look for. The intangibles are the toughest, right? It is being able to call a game, which really the only place that that's really, really happening is in the professional level. So, you know, you've got to look to see if they're, you know, subjectively look to see if you think that the guy can handle the, the pace of the game and, you know, potentially be able to identify hitters weaknesses and pitcher strengths. No, that's perfect. I, I love that. And, and uh, earlier in the show, I mentioned that you were a high school coach for, and you said nine, nine years. I think it was nine years. No, that's all. That's awesome. And, and a lot of our listeners are in that, that realm. So we, so the audience would be kind of some amateurs, a lot of high school, a lot of college, some professional, uh, depending on the episode, which for you, I'm sure that it will be more of the latter. But for the amateur coaches, now, again, you've gotten to see firsthand of what, what we can do a better job of. So in, in the catching world uh, for amateurs, what is something that, that you can help with? Or, or maybe not, let me phrase it like that. But what is something that you see that you think can be approved upon from amateur catchers? It's a great question. Honestly, I think it's giving the guys freedom. I write this in a lot of reports that I, that I go see guys is, you know, once he's given the freedom to do X, Y, and Z, I think we'll see, you know, A, B, and C pop out mm -hmm. a little bit better. 
the freedom of stances, uh, I think we're seeing that a lot more in the last, say, three or four years. The freedom to be creative, uh, you'll see that with the way guys throw, that's kind of the freedom that they get in game. But, you know, with the, the ball manipulation and everything else, I, I think if we allow the guys, let me go backwards. If the coaches allow um, themselves to be open to the newer way of doing things rather than the conventional way of doing things or the fundamental way of doing things, I think that's where we're going to see the most, most growth. These young men that are, that are out there right now are on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They watch the game a hundred times, you know, more specifically for that position and they see what the best guys do. So um, they want to be creative uh, the same way that we all did it with our stances back in the day, just because that was the only person you'd really see on TV is, is the hitter right? That's, that's who they would focus on more. So mm -hmm. um, I think as coaches, if they allow the catchers to have that kind of flexibility and freedom to try things and be open to trial and error, right? Where, where we get in trouble as coaches of catcher specifically is when the ball gets biased, like bad things only happen. There's no good outcome when the ball goes biased. So uh, you know, if you look at infielders and stuff, they're going to make errors. There's, there's a lot of chances that they have the balls all over the place. And it's kind of, it's not overlooked by any means by any kind of infield coach, but there is a ball and a catcher, you know, misses it. And, uh, you know, I've heard from a million coaches. It's like, if I don't notice them, then it's good. Well, I think we should be noticed for the amount of work that these guys do, especially now in the age of huge velo and zero command there every kid at almost every level I mean, my son is nine i see some kids throwing gas at little league you know i mean for them to be able to handle that at such a young age uh, both offensively and defensively i think is, is commendable because mm -hmm. uh you know that's that's a, that's a piece that wasn't there a long time ago it was command over velocity and I think right. we've seen a shift to where it's now it's a velocity over command or even control. And, um, you know, if these kids are able to handle some of that, they are, you know, they're going to have some success, but they're also going to mess up. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily um, a bad thing. You know, I think uh, it's just part of the game. And we take a lot of crap, you know, for lack of a better word, as catchers mm -hmm. when the pitchers don't have command. If you want to find a really good catcher, you're going to see pitchers that have better command of the baseball. And, you know, until the pitching gets to that point, you're going to have a, a young man or, or a grown man back there that's, that's playing defense rather than being offensive with what he's trying to do. No, that's a great point. And I, I love that. And it seems like a lot of the things that you're, that you're talking about involves giving them some, some individual freedom within that. And, and I, I'm sure that, that you have to being the, the catching coordinator, not being able to see guys on a, on a single daily basis. And you're working with those, with those guys, but you played in pro ball and you went to high school and then you came back to pro ball. And so a, a question that I really like is you get, you get these guys and they're 25, 30 years old. They've done certain things a certain way for their entire career. They've obviously been successful there in the top 1% of baseball players in the world. So how are you, how are you going about, how do you approach helping them? Because we want to, as that's why we got into the game of coaching, but we also don't want to overstep our bounds and try and do too much to where, where they regress or we turn them off completely and they don't want to listen to us. So for you, what's that fine line of, okay, here are some things that this player can work on. Here's some freedom that they have within that. And then how do you, how do you maneuver, not necessarily the conversation, but in your mind, how do you go over these things before you talk with the player just to make sure that they know that you're in it for their best interest? It's a two-part kind of answer as far as I'm concerned. Okay. The number one thing with any player uh, as a coach is building the relationship, right? Gaining the trust to build that relationship. If we don't have a, a great relationship and communicate really well with the guy, uh, we are probably not going to get the most out of them. So 
Um, if you asked me this question five years ago, I would say, well, we're going to have the analytics. We're going to have, there's certain things that we know that can help him. You know, he's either going to do it or he's not. Over time, you know, you've learned, I learned, I've personally learned that it's much more about the relationship and the communication and asking more questions rather than telling. And honestly, showing the guy, whatever age he is, if he's a kid or if he's a grown man, that you're in it with him, right? This is this has nothing to do with my career other than the coaching piece, right? Then I'm a coach. I'm here to help you. And if if I can get the the guys or any of our, our staff can get the guys to understand that we're here solely for them, it does open the lines of communication up a lot easier. And um you know, honestly, if 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 they don't believe us, if our relationship isn't strong, we can show them the same drill a hundred days in a row, and they're not going to get anything out of it. As soon as we can make it relatable to how it's going to help them, why we're asking them to try things, etc., like then we have a chance. You know, we don't we don't you just don't know what the guy's going to be able to do unless he's fully invested in doing it. If they're halfway going into it, uh, I just don't see it being something, you know, he, he might progress slightly to the gains that he's going to need getting to the major leagues. The second piece is with the older players. It's more about waiting for them to ask what they can do or what do we see or, you know, what do you got? I mean, that's the question I get a lot of times from an older guy says, okay, what do you got? Okay, well, if you're ready for it, then here's a few things. And the luxury that we have in, you know, in pro ball versus youth, high school, travel ball, we have time. We have tons of time. So even if a guy is, you know, 27 and he's at the, near the end of his career and he's holding on, we still have time over that season to prove uh, that something will go right for him making, you know, certain changes. If it's a young kid, I've got five, six years to where, okay, if we start this process now in five or six years, you're going to be more than ready for the major leagues at, you know, to compete at Dodger stadium, you know, for doc, you know, opposed to, to a high school or, or youth level where it's like next week, I need you to be able to do this. And we got to win this tournament. We need to win these games to get into the tournament. You know, we, we always talk about it being a crock pot, environment versus a microwave environment and the like i said the luxury we have in that crock pot is you throw the throw the guy in add some seasoning and you every so often you just give it a sniff test and go like okay it's going pretty well look at it wow that's looking really good give it a little bit more time it's going to be great and and honestly i think that's the best part of our job is that you're not going to ask a guy to just put band-aids on things and perform we're going to get with you and, you know, dive in there with you in the trenches for a long time, knowing that it's going to, you know, have these ebbs and flows to where it's going to be great. It's going to be horrible. And that's kind of the, the curse of analytics to us sometimes is that the guys see their numbers, they see what's going on uh, and they don't necessarily always trust the process, right? Because if the process is in place and it's strong, we can trust that over time we're going to get the results that we'd like. Uh, and again, that goes back to our relationship with the guy. Sure. And, and you've mentioned analytics a couple of times. And I, I think that, that it's something that obviously over the last five or six years, which it has just exploded. And so let's, let's go back just a little bit because again, it, it has, it started off to where you've got all of these different numbers and we're trying to figure out what it means. Probably still are. But how do you take, especially from the catching side, because again, I'm not real familiar with a ton of the catching metrics, but let's say that I'm just going to pretend that there's a lot of different things that you guys could look for as far as catching goes. Uh, and so maybe you can explain to me a couple of different things because, you know, obviously I'm new to this, but I would like to know how you take those and then simplify them into things that make sense to the player. Because I, again, I, I'm completely assuming here that there's a lot of things that they could look at. And I think you, you alluded to that a little bit, 
but how do you do a good job of filtering that information to your players? First, it's transparency, right? They see everything. Back, say, five years ago, yeah, five years ago, um, when we're getting all these numbers, we're getting the raw data. There wasn't really a system. It was more like, hey, this, this says this should have been a, a higher percentage strike than this one. And here's a whole bunch of numbers, and it would be sheets of numbers for every single game. Now we've deciphered that in different ways where it's actually useful. But back then it was like, here, here's what we have. And the reason that I, I, I particularly wanted that transparency was because if they're hitting poorly and they're talking about, hey, you're not slugging enough or your ISO is this, we'd like it to be here, or your WRC plus is, right, we can, we can talk about any stat or even your batting average, right? The guys know what that is, and they can go on fan graphs and look it up. In the early days of these, not early days, but earlier days of the analytics with the catching, they had no idea what they were being graded upon. So, you know, okay, you had a good game or you had a bad game, and here's kind of a score. Well, what does that score mean? I think this part for guys is they have in what they do, and they work their butts off every single day that is when they have a poor day, they know that it affects the game much more than if they had a poor game as a, a hitter to where they just, you know, they went over three with a walk and it's a, you know, a subpar game for them. If they have that same kind of game score with the catching, it really does affect the game in a negative way. So the hardest part for us over time has been to get the guys to not overreact to the daily scores, daily scores, are in, in a way they're just there to tell you like, Hey, that was a good game. That was a bad game more than anything. Uh, in, in my opinion, what we try to find and what we've added over time is, is just some more data points to tell us where these trends are going. If the trend is on sinkers to the glove side in a specific quadrant is the problem, then it just allows us to work smarter in those areas you know if 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 a hitter is is chasing sliders they're probably going to get the slider machine out and have them work on pitch recognition it's it's virtually the same thing we're just going to go and target his work to the areas that he needs the most work and then also work on his general timing because you know as, as a as a as a catcher we don't have the luxury of taking like a hitter does so if we don't like it, we still have to go get it and try to make it, you know, as as good as we can, make it look as good as we can. To where a hitter can go like, oh, I blinked, I didn't see it, I'm just not going to swing. And there's very little repercussions of what could happen. Um, like I said earlier, when the ball gets by us, nothing good happens. So we do have to be able to cover as much of the zone as possible, knowing even though we might have called the pitch that it could be up and away or all of a sudden it turned into a sinker going down and in at 97 and being able to handle those things with the timing. So, you know, the analytics just literally just tell us two things. One, is he, is he good? And two, where can we do our work? Um, that's the way that I, that I like to look at those things much less than, Hey, that was a misfire. God, it was across the plate or, you know, the umpire told me he missed it. Like, okay, great. That's going to happen. You know, most of my questions to the guys are, hey, here's your score. What do you have on the third one? Because I've looked at the video or we have a link to the video. You know, something just didn't look right. Sometimes the answer is like, I don't know. I just kind of messed up. Great. If that's what it is, that's what it is. I mean, you're, you're in there for thousands upon thousands of pitches. You would be an idiot and you will lose the trust of the player if you hound on every single pitch that he has to go about, you know, his day. It's just impossible over the course of a year to stay completely perfectly locked in, say for 18,000 pitches. It's, it's going to be tough and they're going to blink and they're going to have bad backgrounds and they're going to have a pitcher that, you know, there's a runner on third and he, the pitcher's throwing the ball all over the place and he's not worried about necessarily the strike. He's shifted more 
of his, you know, bandwidth to making sure that at least he keeps it in front of him. That might be the situation that, that he was in. And it's not reflected necessarily in the strike probability or the game score, or, you know, what the stat sheet says, but he's doing his job. He's serving his pitching, you know, his pitching staff or his pitcher specifically at that moment to the best of his ability. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that the, the numbers do tell us, but there's also a lot of things uh, in very specific games that the numbers will never tell us. You know, you might get a score for the block where you're losing it on the, on the reception and, you know, you still won the game. That's really all that matters. You're going to get me going here because I, I think that, it's almost dangerous to try and interpret data without some context at video is the same way. I'm sure too. And, and so I love that, that you ask, like, I love that, that you ask, Hey, what, what do you got on this before you really do anything? Because again, they're the ones behind the plate. We're not, uh, they're the ones in the box. We're not, they're the ones on the mound. We're not. And so I think, I think that's something that we could all do a better job of is, is trying to understand the context before we try and interpret everything that we, we, you know, we, we interpret anyways, especially so, soapbox for me like swings on you see on social media or swings even on tv like what was the pitch what was the situation what was going on like uh, all of these different things that we don't factor into what makes a good you know for a catcher what what makes a good receiver okay so you mentioned that you guys have a lot of process goals and i love that but you also ask for the context on some of the stuff that they do well or they don't i think that's that's awesome i think it's brilliant I think in game is the best place for you to ask the questions. Um, the recall of these guys is incredible. So whether it's a phone call the next day or if I'm there or, you know, one of the other coaches is there and they just ask the question like, Hey, what happened? You know, that second pitch on the, you know, to the, whatever the guy's name is. And generally the guys are going to go like, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, this happened. Oh, okay. Thanks. And that, that should should in essence be the end of it a lot of times what what would happen is you know you need to do this well it's already in the past like i can't change that what we can do is see okay here's the work we've been doing can you try this this next inning or next inning in the warm-ups can you try it and the guys definitely i mean you're out there surviving when you're playing, right? So asking them to do huge changes when they know they can totally mess up the game is tough. But if we can ask them to slowly try to put it into play, and what you'll find is that they'll come back and go like, hey, did you see that on that one pitch? I, I did what we were working on. Awesome. That's really that, – that could be the, worth the whole trip into a city is that aha moment that that, that – young man has and that's the best part about being a coach is when you can see how there's a bit of influence on the player to get better and um you know i think i think that is the best part about being a coach i love that let's talk about the dodgers culture a little bit and <laughs> like i was telling you earlier i think i've interviewed just about every dodgers coach uh in the entire uh, just every department almost but Let's talk a little bit about the catching department uh, specifically. And I know that th this is something that you are really proud of and that's something that you wanted me to ask you about. So I'm really excited to, to hear what you have to say. But talk to us a little bit about the culture there. What are you guys building? I mean, I know culture is a buzzword, but what does that look like, feel like? What is the environment like? Just kind of go all in on what that would look like on a daily basis if we, if we got to see you guys in meetings and things like that. It's an all-encompassing thing with us. You know, we have our serve to lead mantra, right? I came from the task that Gabe Kapler gave us, I don't in 2015 and Travis Barbary and Austin Chubb and myself sat down and, you know, we, we just brainstormed on what was really important for our, you know, for our crew, for our catching court. And the servant leadership piece kept coming up. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, what does that mean throughout you know, the all encompassed you know, position of, of being a catcher. And, you know, we kind of put that together and wrote a little, you know, you know trying to create cha championship caliber men to win championships with communication and leadership and, you know, rolling with the punches and, 
and stuff like that. And we took it to the guys and the guys loved it. We got with our strong mind coordinator, AJ Lalonde at that time. And we got, he got his whiteboard out and, you know, we, we asked the guys, what are the core things that you like? And, and there's a, a big spread of things. And then they just sub sub off of all of those. And uh, when it was all said and done, there's 30, 40 things that, that the guys had mentioned. And uh, I think the best part about that is that they realized, listen, to be a complete catcher in this organization, you need to be able to do all of those things. Um, so it is taking care of, you know, if, if you're trying to learn English or you're trying to learn Spanish, uh, it is creating really strong relationships with not only the pitchers, but then the pitching coaches being able to communicate with both. It is the game planning, you know, we call game calling university, right? It is learning how to identify hitters' strengths and weaknesses and how are we going to put that together with our pitchers' strengths and weaknesses. And then how are we going to communicate that with our pitchers, the pitching coaches, and then put it in the games. So, you know, that just that one little small piece we could probably talk about for 30 minutes. You know, the guys go through public speaking training. They go through elevator speeches. We put them in uncomfortable situations and they have to improvise because that is part of what they're going to have to do. Now it is getting tougher with the mound visit limitations. So that communication and that trust and that relationship piece is so much stronger now uh, or more important now than it ever has been, you know, then we can move to the physical side. Like, are they doing their prep work? Are they getting there on time? Are they you know, respectful of the performance staff and the training staff's time to where they're, you know, so the serve to lead is everyone. It's not, it has, it's not just about us. It's about serving all of our staff, all of our, you know, fellow players, uh, and most importantly, the organization, you know, so it, that, that's our culture. Like it's, it's a, uh, it's an all encompassed thing. Our guys, I mean, the expectation for our guys is through the roof. To be where Will and Austin are right now in the major leagues, if you don't do all of those things, you're never going to get there. Or you need to hit, like, through the roof in order to get there, which is just tough, you know, given the position. You know, the the great team at aspect, the – I think the, the proudest thing, and I'm going to – boast on the guys a little bit is that I think it's of the, of the eight levels, eight teams that we had, six of them were team of the year voted by their peers. Uh, one level we had catchers going in and out the whole time. And then only one level where there was a, a guy there consistently didn't really win the, the teammate of the year this last year. I was extremely proud of that. And I know every one of our coaches that works with the catchers uh, was extremely proud of that because it means that they're, they're walking the walk, right? That they're doing what they're supposed to be doing by serving not only their staff, but then the rest of their teammates and being respectful to the clubhouse, you know, attendance or you know, the club clubbies and, and uh, the weight guys and the, and the performance staff and the training staff and the manager and the, and the coaches. It just means that they're doing what they're supposed to. That's our expectation. So when they aren't met, when those expectations aren't met around here, specifically with the catchers, right? They're not going to be playing or they won't be a part of our organization for too long. You know, I've told this story many times, but if, I mean, I don't know how many years ago, that's four years ago, probably now, you know, one of the players got basically demoted and then put on timeout because he was such a bad teammate and he had to learn how to become a good teammate. And that's the investment that, that the staff has put into the players is that, listen, this month, I think he was off five weeks or somewhere close to that. Like this month of your career, you're not going to, what you do on the field isn't going to make or break your career. But this month that you're going to be here working with the staff on becoming a better teammate will elevate your career. And, you know, in order, like we said, in order to be a catcher with the Dodgers, you've got to be a great teammate. You've got to serve the, your staff. You know, this young man has completely changed his career path because of it. And, it, and it's awesome. 
that's I think that's that's uh, me saying that it's important is probably understating it quite a bit because he's going to take that and and not just apply it on a field but whatever he does for the other 30 years right. 40 50 years of his life it's it's going to be something that you guys are setting him up for success there too I think so, the general the general culture that we have is you know building stronger men builds better baseball players and that it was an expectation that long time ago and, and then passed on to you know, Brandon Gomes, who's now an assistant GM, and then now Will Rhymes, who, who's our, our farm director. We put a lot of time, we be, meaning every person in PD, whether it be the performance of the training staff or the video guys or, you know, everyone puts a ton of work into the guys to make them better, better men because they do need to be better husbands and better fathers, um, better brothers and better sons. If they do that, then they're going to get more out of what they do uh, as a baseball player. And, and we truly believe that. And I think it's been somewhat proven over the last four or five years of how our minor league players are ready for the major leagues when they get there. That's really, really good. I know that listeners are longtime listeners to the show. I can't count how many times that people have said that, but that's also coming from a, an organization who's been in the World Series several times over the last couple of years and has had one of the more successful player development departments in the world. And it just like that for me, hearing that from you, it, it means a ton, right? And it's, I think that it's something that if you're not listening to those things that keep getting repeated over and over, that I, just I'm a firm believer that success leaves clues. And again, you could, you could tell that to a, a room full of people and, and half of us are going to hear it, but it's something that I want to reiterate again, because it's just so, so good. Let's talk about a little bit about, you know, just the, the physical aspect of catching. And I love that we, you know, spent 30 minutes on intangibles and we could spend an entire show on it because it is that important, but let's talk about setting up guys for success based on how their body moves. And, and you talked about it earlier of just trying to understand those things so you can help them and, and allow some freedom within the constraints of what you think is important. But is there a way that you assess how a player moves? Uh, do you watch video on them? Is that kind of your assessment or, or what? Just to be able to, to again, set, set them up to be able to receive the ball well. Because the, the position is called catcher for a reason because you have to receive right. 180 times, 200 times a game, whatever the number is. So setting them up to be able to do that well consistently is pretty important. So kind of walk us through your process with that. The, the hardest part is making sure the guys are both physically and mentally ready to handle, you know, the opportunity of, of catching 150, 180, right? Very few times. I think it's, I, I want to say the, the, the most we ever had was like 180 and that was like a 16 inning game or something that's just like an awful game where just back and forth, no one could get anybody out kind of game. Uh, I want to say the least amount was like 46. It was like a 76, 78 uh, pitch complete game by John Ritchie in like 2005, 2015 in Rancho. Uh, Kyle Farmer had that. It was like 46 pitches he, he received on the day, right? In either one of those, you're not going to have a good score. Like there's not enough opportunities or there's way too many opportunities. All we, all we have to do is, is make sure that the guys are in positions to handle who's going to be throwing the ball, right? The ball could be coming from anywhere on this side and every, anywhere on this side and doing anything in between. So the big thing for us is, is one finding comfort and finding a spot that, you can move freely and cover as much of uh, the catching zone, I guess you'd call it, as possible. You know, that's, that's getting with our performance staff and saying, hey, I see some ankle, maybe he's got low back tightness or there's some hip mobility issues. They're like magic, I tell you. So uh, you tell them something and poof, magically, like in a week, it's done. These guys are incredible. You know, and, and again, that goes back to the serve to lead. These guys know that they have to get something done. The players, they show up to those, you know, those assigned times and, 
make sure that they get their work in and they're very diligent. So given that there's no physical restrictions, it's more about what is this ball going to do and the angle that it's going to come in at and the speed and then the action. Now, you know, with the, here's a, a spot where these analytics really are going to help us is um, with all the track man numbers, the Rapsodo numbers, uh, learning the spin efficiency and the horizontal and the vertical break, understanding what that means to us and how this ball, you know, if, if this ball's coming in, is it going to go like this? Is it going to go like this? Or is it just going to stay on? You know, we, we've got to learn all of those things about each guy that we have. I think anybody that's caught has this, this fear, right, that you're going to either A, miss the ball, or two, get hurt by the ball. And those are, those are probably the most healthy fears that we're going to have in our position because you have to focus on what the ball is telling us. So for, you know, the evaluation of a guy, it's, it's can we get him into what we have here is, is like a knee stance, um, a primary stance where he's just comfortable, and then as many hybrid stances as we can possibly go with for every situation, for every kind of pitch. Since, you know, very few guys throw exactly the same, um, especially when you put them on a, you know, 12-man staff, you know, you've got to be able to adjust to everything that they do and know everything that this guy is going to offer and what this guy's going to offer and how, how it's going to be different. So, you know, the biggest thing for us when it comes to the evaluation of a guy is, all right, again, here's the trends with catching Jonathan, you can't handle pitches to your glove side, but with Ryan, you catch everything to your glove side, just fine. What's the difference? And then we start to, to look at those things and then try to find a stance that he can handle to not only cover that weak, weaker spot, but then still be able to do the best that he can in the other spots. So, you know, that's, that's more of how we go about each guy individualizing his plan. It's just making sure that he can cover as much as possible throughout the season with who he's going to have to catch. And in the minor leagues, that number is probably exponentially higher than in the major leagues. And you're going to get varying degrees of experience with the pitchers, right? So there's a lot of fear that they have. They're, they're working their way up the system and, you know, maybe you haven't caught him since spring training. All of a sudden he gets to a new level and he's scared to death too, right? Or maybe he's mad or maybe all of a sudden he got a velocity jump that you haven't seen or a new pitch you haven't seen. And it's learning each guy in that way. So that would be the biggest piece of our evaluation is, okay, how are we getting in positions to be able to do, like you said, catch the ball and, and then do it as efficiently and productively as possible? So, you know, I don't think there's an answer. And this, that goes back to like the question of what can a high school coach or a youth coach do? It's allowing that freedom. You know, I remember, I, I think every catcher has a guy he struggles with the same way that he has a pitcher that he struggles with, or he has a pitcher that he owns, right? Things match up to certain pitchers in certain ways. And our job is to not just go like, I can't catch this guy. It's to go like, what in the hell am I going to do to be able to catch this guy well because I want to help him, right? Again, that goes back to our serve to lead, right? Like taking it upon ourselves to make sure that, you know, we're putting ourselves in the best positions to help the staff win the ball game, you know, and, and this is where the 10% of the organization can help the best 60%, you know, productively rather than being a hindrance. And, you know, that whole, what we're trying to get at is that you never have the pitchers say, I like to throw to catcher A over catcher B. If we could eliminate that, that means that we've truly done our job um, as a whole catching core. And because then, then there's trust and communication and the ability um, to handle everybody. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen, you know, but that's certainly, if there is an end goal to any of this, that would be it, is that they all come to every It doesn't matter if he's the new guy or the guy that's, that's your best friend. I love that. I love that goal. 
and I obviously hit the nail on the head, and, and I couldn't agree more. I think we uh, – wasn't it Maddox who had a guy that was like his guy that he only threw to, and then they had sure. uh, Javi Lopez who just freaking raked, and they had to set him out every yeah. five days because Maddox didn't like throwing to him. I, I thought that was the case, but and that was one of them. Eddie Perez, that's who he threw to. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you're trying to eliminate that. So I, I love that. If, if you don't mind, let's go over what game planning looks like for you and just kind of take us through what a meeting would look like uh, before a series would start. So, uh, you know, honestly, for me, I, I stay out of it as much as I can. We have, you know, the perform or our, uh, developmental coaches get the numbers and they crunch the numbers and then the guys uh, do a really good job. We do a lot of work on uh, when they're younger, especially. Uh, with the game calling piece and identifying and the processes. And that's, you know, during this whole quarantine time, that's what we did for the first, I don't know, two and a half months or something like that is uh, we broke down hitters and would have small group meetings over zoom every week uh, for, I don't know how many weeks. It was a lot of weeks. And that's what they were working on. If we couldn't work on our physical side, we could work on this piece. So getting the stats that we like, and, and th that's just a subjective thing, you know, finding the stats and we have our, our video programs that we use that we can filter everything through, um, you know, and, and then starting to look at very specific things and having the guys, given the, again, given the guys freedom to figure out, okay, how are you going to get ahead? If you're behind, how are you going to get back in the count? When you get to certain counts, what are we going to probably go with? That's the general, right? Uh, and then, you know, how are we going to put them away, et cetera. But then when we take the second dive, and it's probably the most important dive is, okay, here is picture A and picture B. Now, okay, you have your general scouting report. How are you going to attack it with, you know, say a righty starter and a lefty reliever? And, you know, that's the piece that I think, hopefully we see the biggest gains from going into next season with the minor leaguers simply because they, they, they have started their processes and probably gotten a little bit um, smarter and more efficient with how they're going to take that information and then hopefully be able to deliver it to, to uh, their teammates. You know, we look at, there's no secret on what you're looking at. You're looking at who, who does damage, you know, who swings and misses, if they chase, are they swinging and missing at that chase, or if there's contact, or if there's damage, really, that's, that's probably what you're looking at the very most. Uh, can they handle velo, can they handle breaking balls, head behind and even in the counts? There's, there's no real magic to what you're looking at. Uh, I think it's all about how your pitcher is going to match up to all of those things and then putting a game plan together, knowing, you know, okay, say this guy's bread and butter is a slider, but this hitter kills sliders. Well, we just got to find where we can place the slider rather than saying like, okay, you can't throw a slider to him. You can only throw fastballs. Well, then the game all of a sudden becomes a little bit easier for everybody else. So, uh, you know, it's that adaptability and understanding how, we can go and attack the hitter, even if there are some matchups that aren't perfect, the game's still built around the pitcher winning. So, uh, you know, where can we get some soft contact? Say it is a great match matchup you know, against the pitcher. When you get the soft contact, how can we get him out quicker? How can we just get past him? You know, um, like you said earlier, every, the context is everything. So, you know, say he's the, the seven, the seven hitter, and you have nothing behind him, and this is the one guy that could kill you, like, hurry up, just get him out of there. Let him get on base instead of letting him take up 12 pitches every at-bat, and now you're out of the game in the fourth inning, you know. So uh, that's the game planning piece. You know, it, we we've, we certainly have guys that we said, like, hurry up, get him off. You know, he's going to swing. Give him something to swing at. There's probably not a damage attached to this pitch. Throw that pitch. Or, you know, conversely, like, okay, here's a guy you need to be careful with. 
with runners in scoring position, all of a sudden he hit, he's a better hitter. So if that's the case, let's, let's do this, this, and this, you know, and, and this is where matching up the data, matching up the video, matching up your experience, and then matching up um, that pitcher can really come into play. I don't know what that side looks like, but it, Really, really well done. Uh, thank you again for just giving, giving us an inside look as to what that is. And again, it goes back to one, serve to lead, but also you're giving them some freedom within that to learn that, understand that, and have some feel for that, which is going to create better baseball players and, and better catchers down down the line, which is really cool. But let, let's go into a new segment of the show, and I'm going to say what it, call it what can we do tomorrow. So let's talk about receiving, blocking, and throwing. And mm-hmm. let's just go through the first one, which is receiving. What would be a drill that we can steal from you that we could use tomorrow? You know, I think it's learning where your pocket is in space. It's knowing where the strike zone is and le- learning where your pocket is. So if uh, you learn how to create really s- solid angles with your glove, then the, the ball can go into the strike zone. You know, if the pitch is, say, low and away, uh, and I take it traditionally to where I'm trying to get my thumb. There you go. You know, here, uh, my thumb underneath it, the momentum in the, in the force of the ball can push us away from the strike. So, so it's learning, you know, the angles that we're, that we're going to try to get to. And then, uh, how can that ball get to the strike zone easiest? So learning how the pocket can be here or the pocket can be here. And you're going to get two completely different, uh, actions with the ball. Um, that would definitely be, be that would be the one thing for anybody who's kind of just working on general receiving that I would that I would recommend, uh, and that's that's probably the toughest piece when we get to um, new players is getting them to understand that where their pocket is in space and where their glove is attached, you know, and how how they're not going to miss the ball. Uh, especially on the pitch down, the way that we approach the ball is probably slightly different than than what they might have been taught. And there's not a lot of trust attached because they think they're going to miss it. And it's just getting that pocket awareness with their angles and their levers. That would be the number one thing that we have to work on. Blocking wise, honestly, I don't, I think blocking is the hardest thing to do slash the easiest thing to do. It's the last thing that people learn. It's the uh, experience and seeing the ball and truly um, recognizing what the ball is doing. But it's honestly the easiest one because the majority of pitches, if you just close your eyes, are going to bounce and hit you anyways. You know, I, w- I, would, I would talk much more about recognition of spin, speed, and location, mostly location, to figure out then how to get your body down. All you have to do is get a knee down and the ball can hit you and you'll have control of it. Where people get in trouble is they're either way too early uh, and make bad decisions on, you know, you, we see it all the time. It's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. The guy starts to go down and then the pitch is up because he assumed things rather than, you know, recognize things or conversely, he thinks it's going to travel all the way to him and he, and he gets in a bad position and he's late. So it's, it's more about like, putting yourself behind a net, having breaking balls come in, especially probably in the dirt most time. And then recognizing a little bit later where the ball is going to be, where it's going to end up, I'm sorry. And, and then being able to get your body there. A block is only part of that action. The, the whole reason why we block anyways is to keep a runner from advancing, right? So the block is only the first piece. And, you know, then having the the balance and the posture that you can then react and get to the ball and then, you know, keep a runner from advancing that base or, or throw them out is the second piece. So the reaction is the first reaction recognition, and then making sure that we get there would be the the second piece. Uh, And I think you have to equally work on both. You know, a lot of times there's, there's blocks and everybody works on just, you know, killing the ball right in front of them and stuff, but you're not, always putting yourself in the best position to then react and throw someone out a block that's kept one inch in front of you and the runner getting a base is a fail. If the runner stays or a runner doesn't advance, that's a success. So if it bounces 10 feet away from you 
and you're able to get to it and keep that runner from going, that's more of a successful block than the one that we kill right in front of us. It looks good. Throwing, I don't know. I mean, just don't don't mess it up. So you can no say runs. adding no adding one, throwing no in the blocking. Yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, throwing is about for us. Throwing is about getting the ball in your right hand and getting on your right foot, and then it's just a throw. Most throws are messed up by the exchange and where they get the ball or not getting the ball. You know, if you talk to if you talk to guys when they mess up, it's like I didn't get a good grip or I got shoved in a bad place or I got my body got put in a bad position when I was just getting the ball. So, you know, we just talk about the clap zone and just getting our hands to wherever our hands naturally come together, which is generally where you clap your hands. Uh, so we just try to get, you know, the ball there and get our hand in and out. And if we can just get on our right foot, then it just becomes a regular throw. So, uh, you know, that's the, that's the piece that is the hard, the hard part about throwing is just making sure we just get to hear all of our drills, the drills that we do probably other than receiving, because uh, receiving is about the experience of, of getting all of that, but our block and our throws are all meant to be pieces where it's kind of built before or built after where most people kind of mess up so they can take a drill if they're having trouble and put it in their pregame routine before they go and, and play. So uh, that's kind of how our drills are built out okay. for the guys. I like that. Uh, again, thank you. Uh, I've been trying to add some just practical drills without drilling everybody to death, but I like the idea of just one, one or two things that we can steal from you and add uh, that are simple enough to, that we can add tomorrow. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you've learned during this time or just lately what you're digging into, what you're researching, what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? The, the game calling, uh, that's a huge piece for us. And I think we've, we've grown it quite a bit over this, this time, uh, streamlining how we can get guys who generally haven't, you know, had a lot of experience in the planning and then the application. I would say that's the, the, the first thing that I'm, I'm going after, uh, now working, I was telling you earlier, you know, I've, I've got to work with uh, you know, our players that have either been sick or rehabbing now and, and being able to diversify a little bit um, out of the catching room. I haven't, you know, got to look at pitchers the way that I've got to see them in the last, you know, whatever, few weeks and, you know, working with some outfielders, getting them ready to go back to LA. And, you know, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, so trying to get back on that and ask some questions about what, what I should be looking for and how I should be reporting it. So looking at it in a little bit different way out of the realm that I'm, that I'm in and um, just picked up a new book actually. It's called choose love, not fear. It's written by uh, Gary Heil and Ryan Heil, who uh, I worked with Gary at NPA with Tom house and uh, his son was one of our pitchers. So, I just got this book. I'm going to dive into that uh, later today. You know, it's it's about leadership and culture and built probably a little bit stronger in every organization. And especially now that we have such little contact with the players, you know, I'm hoping that uh, we can we can get back to that normal way of, of going about it in, in our groups. But if we can't, We've got to be able to keep these guys engaged and, and, you know, get them ready to go compete. What is okay. something that the best coaches that you've ever been around, what's something that they do different? They're innovative. They push and question conventional wisdoms. I love that. What is something that you think may go unnoticed by some people? but you think that it's important. So I, the example I give is every time a catcher goes uh, and gets behind the plate, he always shakes the umpire's hand, maybe not this year, but it tells him his name, yes, sir, and then they move on. But it's just something that, that builds that connection. Is there anything like that or anything that you do that may go unnoticed that we can start to do with our players that's important? I would say the team building within our group, getting them to communicate better is the key because – if we can get them to communicate better, then it's only going to help the team. You know, the environment is always competitive, but creating really strong dudes that will help each other out, even at their own expense, I would say that would be the piece. If you can get your two to three catchers to 
communicate and trust each other and help each other out and fight for each other, then, then I would think that's probably the biggest win out of our position. Well, I got two more for you. Anything that you see that is just any trends that you find disheartening that you would like to see changed? Twitter. I'll just leave it there. Okay. All right. So finally, I guess that won't be uh, an answer to this next question, which are some of your favorite (laughs) books and resources. So if you don't mind, can you give us just, if you could buy every one of our listeners one or two books, or you could put them in touch with this person, or you could have them enroll in this course, what would those things be? Wow. I have a, a million books. I think just reading, right? Reading and getting outside of what is comfortable for you as far as the topics, you know, anything in leadership I'm in on. Um, I like a lot of nonfiction leadership stuff uh, rather than just anecdotal jargon. Uh, I'll read everything, uh, just trying to pull a piece. And it's usually something with service and leadership. That's, that's where I'll, I'll go with it. As far as resources, man, I just, try to talk to everyone unapologetically. Like I hope that I don't have a huge ego in this, right? And ask a lot of questions because there is a lot of experiences that every one of us have. So whether, and I'm not just talking about within baseball. I think I talk to Uber drivers a lot when I'm going to the airport on trips and, you know, everyone has a different story of what they do. And I, and I ask for the challenges that they face because Generally, people are, are um, you know, dealing with people and, uh, you know, how, how can you do this? Or here's a challenge that I've had with a group of people. How can you, uh, how can you relate? Um, I, I would say that's the biggest thing for me is, is to not, you know, fight the urge of the ego and saying, like, well, I'm right and this is the way to do it. I mean, I can personally say that you know, the way that we do things around here is the way that we do things around here. If, if I were with a different group, um, maybe those things are different and the values are different. So there's, there's not a right or a wrong attached to it as far as I'm concerned. It's just how you do things within your, your organization or your group. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, there's things within the catching realm that I personally agree with or disagree with. Um, but I also have the greater good of, of our, our organization in mind. So maybe there's some things that I'm not as comfortable with that I need to become comfortable with. Uh, and, and it's not saying that it's right or wrong. And, and certainly how we go about, say, um, the targeting uh, with our pitching staff, maybe that does hurt our receiving in certain ways, but it also maybe, you know, uh, helps the pitchers to where another organization will say, we don't care about the target, you know, put the glove on the ground and do whatever because, you know, X, Y, and Z. I'm not saying that we're right and they're wrong or they're right and we're wrong just the way that we do it. So uh, I don't, I don't feel that there's like, there should be an ego in that. It's just, you know, this is how you kind of go about things and, and, and there's no right or wrong. And I think we all can take every one of those situations and say, okay, well, I could use this in this situation, or I could use it in that situation. Uh, and then it maybe benefits you rather than, you know, becomes this like pissing contest on who's right and wrong. That's really good. Uh, and again, I, I, I like to hear, I really like the depth of asking other people the challenges that they face. I think that that's a really good question to ask it. And I was thinking to myself, well, if, if that was the first question that you asked, it, it may be slightly awkward, but the more you get to know somebody, I think that that's something that you can get to their heart and serve and lead them. I, I may be stealing that from you, by the way. And so uh, I am going to link your Twitter account, which you so eloquently stated that you love Twitter so much. Uh, I'm going to link that in the show notes. I'm also going to link your, your website. And so to, those would be also two other good resources to, to reach out to, to, just see some different things that we couldn't get to today, but I'm going to open up the mic for you and just kind of let you roll. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? I just think, uh, first, thank you for having me. Uh, this is, this has been great. Um, I never shy away from talking about catching cause it's, 
it's what I do on a daily basis. And, and it's what truly what I love about baseball. You know, we have the opportunity, like I said earlier, for a small group to influence the best group, which is the pitchers. And, um, you know, with the opportunity to win baseball games and as I hope everyone gets to do at some point is, you know, win championships um, because it's, it's good for everyone. If, if there is some parity and, and uh, there is some, you know, spreading of the wealth as far as winning goes, because I think winning breeds success in other things. Um, but, you know, our, our game is in a, in a, in a great place, I think, because you've got the best athletes playing it right now. And, you know, our position, although it, I don't think has ever been better because there is much more focus on all the different ways that guys can help. And um, again, it goes back to the serve, the service part, but you know, if, if we can get more kids involved in, in understanding why being a catcher is so much fun rather than it's tough, it's hot, it sucks when I get hit by a ball, right? Uh, that's, that's what we, we lose guys to sometimes. And, um, you know, maybe they're, they're hitting or something may suffer, but it just takes a stronger man as far as I'm concerned to, uh, to be able to have success back here. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.